It's a blessing to be together today. I'm excited to continue this series on the epistles of Peter with the overarching theme of living as an exile, and we've been exploring within that three sub-themes. The context in 1 Peter is suffering, and we're going to look at that specifically next time we began our series with a three-part mini-series on separation, this theme of holiness we see throughout the epistles of Peter, becoming holy through the new birth, chapter 1, being holy, remaining holy. And then last time we began a two-part mini-series on submission, one of the themes that maybe surprises us in the epistles of Peter. And a theme that we saw and noted last time is not just a theme of First and Second Peter, it's a theme of the Bible. And so last time we looked at the second half of chapter 2, it pivots in verse 11 and 12, live beautifully, live honorably in a way that will win others to Christ. And then he goes into teaching on submission and these various realms of authority and submission. And the second half of chapter 2, he looks at submission specifically outside of the home. Submitting as citizens to your government. Submitting as employees to your employer. And the ultimate model and motivation of that is the submission of Jesus. For to this you have been called. And so, in chapter 3, he transitions into submission inside of the home. We're going to also include this morning the house of God. Not only our physical family, but our spiritual family. Chapter 5, submit to your elders. Submit yourselves, part 2. And you might think it'd be better entitled round 2. Because as... um, Christians, exiles living in America, the struggle of being a Christian in America whose home is in heaven, we're in exile in America, the struggle to be a Christian American instead of an American Christian, this isn't necessarily our strength. And so you can hear and read these verses and you can feel like you're being knocked around. But again, submission is a fundamental, foundational part of of being a Christian, of being like Jesus. And so 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive. Same word, same concept we explored last time. Subordinate yourself. Place yourself under in rank. That has a very strong military connotation. The opposite would be insubordination. Philippians chapter 2 in our series on Philippians, Finding Joy, and wonderful chapter, wonderful passage, subordinate your interest under the interest of others. Put others' interest before your, your own interest. Esteem others better than yourself. That's the concept of Christian submission. Put on the mind of Christ, who's the ultimate model of that, who made himself of no reputation, who emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, was obedient, submissive unto death, even the death of the cross. And so the command to submit to our authorities requires that we recognize our authorities and accept responsibility for subordinating ourselves under them. It's a reflexive command. We mentioned that last time, which simply means the onus is not on the authorities to force us to subordinate ourselves. As Christians, we willingly choose to place ourselves under. And that Greek word is found 40 I repeat, 40 times throughout the New Testament because it's that critical, it's that important, it's that God knew we wouldn't like it. (laughs) From the very beginning, 
You will be as gods. That's the temptation. We want to be in control. We want the power. We want the authority. And I see that in my own life. I've seen that in my own experience. I see that in my children. My youngest is currently in that uh, charming stage where everything is no, including yes. And she's added no way for emphasis. And Lincoln has a special ability to solicit that reaction and that response. And so it's not surprising we struggle with this even when we grow up and we become adults. But the command, the what, we're going to answer those same questions. What, why, when, where, who. The what hasn't changed. Be submissive. Subordinate yourself. Why the emphasis and focus on the wife here? Six verses are addressed to the wife. One in this text addressed to the husband. I don't think he's picking on wives. I think it's because it was much more complicated for them at that time before the gospel had elevated the view of women. At that time, daughters were considered owned by their fathers, then they got married and they were considered as owned by their husband. And in this context, we have an additional complication. She's married to an unbeliever. Christianity's already been labeled as subversive. They're turning the world upside down. And now you have women, you have wives who have their own religion. That was unheard of. So he's not picking on wives, just like he's not picking in chapter 2 on citizens or employees or all Christians who are commanded to submit to each other. Likewise, wives likewise refers us back to what he just wrote in the previous verses in chapter 2. The context for all this teaching and these realms of authority and submission is that the agenda, the goal, the motivation is to turn this slander into God-glorifying conversion. That's the context. The wife is a sojourner. She's a pilgrim. She's an exile in her marriage because her husband does not obey the Word. She's an exile inside the home. She's an exile outside the home in her culture. Why should she submit? Why should we submit? We talked last time, not only are we given commands to submit, we're given instruction on how to submit, we're also given the incentive, the reason, the why we should submit. And the reasons for submitting inside the home are the same that we looked at last time outside the home, for the Lord's sake, for others' sake, and finally for your sake. Chapter 2, verse 13, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. Why? For is a because word. For the Lord's sake. That's why. Titus 2, 5, the qualities of godly women, that older women are to affirm and teach to younger women to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands. Why? That. When you see the word that, the explanation is going to follow. Here's the incentive. Here's the reason. That the word of God may not be blasphemed. That's the ultimate reason. That's the ultimate why. Colossians 3, wives, submit to your own husbands. Here's the clarifying phrase, the limiting phrase, as is fitting in the Lord. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, not just what you agree with, not just what you like. Not just, that's not the nature of submission. For, here's why, this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Ephesians 5, wives, submit to your own husbands. There's the limiting, clarifying phrase, as to the Lord. For, here's the reason, the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, 
And He is the Savior of the body. And so in conclusion, in light of this truth, this reason, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for her. Verse 33, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. When we downplay submission and marriage, we downplay the beauty of Christ and His church. That's why. That's why headship and submission is so important because we want our marriage to tell the truth about the beauty of Christ and His church. And when I view my submission in any realm to any authority as anything less than my participation in esteeming and glorifying the headship of Christ in all things, my view of submission is distorted and myopic. Submit for the Lord's sake. Submit for others' sake. That's the context. That's the pivot in chapter 2, verse 12, behave yourself beautifully, honorably, in submitting that they may glorify God in the day of visitation. They might have a conversion. We read in verse 1, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands. Why? That, even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. Secular submission is motivated by self-interest. Biblical submission is motivated by self-sacrifice in the interest of others. We see and go on to read in verse uh, 4 through 14 as we talk about having this gentle and quiet submissive spirit. Here's why. Because we want to be precious in the sight of God and He will reward us for that. We want to be precious in God's eyes. We don't want hindered prayers. We do want to inherit a blessing. That's why for... Here's the reason, he who would love life and see good days. Because I want a good day, I want good days, I want to love and enjoy life, I have to live this way. Here's the blueprint. You want a good life? You want to love life? You want to enjoy life? Here's how. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I'm motivated not only by the grace of God, but by the opposition of God. Because I want the eyes, the grace, and the face of God for me and not against me. That's why I live like this. Love people, submit, and serve. And when God designs something like marriage or these various realms of authority, He always designs it for His glory and for our eternal good. That's why you submit. So who submits? And who do we submit to? We saw last time in Romans 13, let every person be submissive to the governing authorities. And we notice that that would imply and mean that none of us are exempted from that, right? Every person would include all of us, and we see that here. Finally, all of you embrace this mindset. Chapter 5, verse 5, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another. So there's the who submits, all of us. Who do we submit to? We read in verse 1, wives submit to your own Keyword own husbands, children obey your parents, clarified, limited, it's got to be in the Lord, for this is right, honor your father and mother, which is the first of the Ten Commandments, where a promise is attached to it, and here's the promise, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth, and that's a general, not absolute principle, but if you'll submit to your parents who have more knowledge and experience, you'll, things will go better for you. <laughs> You might have a longer life that's not cut short by foolishness. Jesus Himself submitted to His parents. God 
submitted to man. And in that submission, he gave a dignity to submission that destroys our misconceptions and challenges our insecurities that make us resist. And that submission was not because he lacked authority. It wasn't the result of incompetency or inferiority. He already had exceeded theirs. Makes it abundantly clear, submission does not mean inferior. Husbands, honor your wife as a fellow heir of the grace of life. There's neither male nor female. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free. You're all one in Christ. And so Christians living in this context could interpret that to mean, I don't, I'm an exile. This world is not my home. I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. I don't have to submit to my government. I don't have to submit to my boss. I don't have to submit to my unbelieving husband. And that's what Peter and Paul are addressing, that misconception. We talked last time, use that freedom righteously. You're free in Christ. Don't use it as a cover-up for evil. You take that freedom and you make yourself a slave. Using your freedom as slaves of God. It doesn't mean or infer inferiority or superiority. It's for functionality. What about our influence and our credibility? What about our hypocrisy when husbands, fathers, men... We expect our wife and our children or our employees to submit to us. And then when it's our turn, we refuse to do it. Our testimony is watched closest by those closest to you, and we have to have a tone of submission that starts at home. Submit to your own elders. 1 Peter 5, 1-4, through 4, the elders who are among you, I exhort I whom a fellow elder. Notice Peter says, I'm a fellow elder, a qualification of which he had to be married with children. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. And so we see this autonomy, God in His wisdom, a safeguard instead of one person, this concentration of power and authority with one person. He's writing to five provinces in Turkey and says, you submit to the elders, plural, among you. And notice he says, the elders who shepherd, word for pastor, overseers, word for bishop, all three terms referring to the same office. Hebrews 13, 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. You be subject to the elders among you who are serving you, not solitary followers, not lone wolves doing their own thing because nobody tells me what to do, but you be sheep responding to shepherds. And the irony is that we live in a time where Christians are calling others sheep in a derogatory manner. (laughs) The irony is that Christians are calling people anything (laughs) and that they're calling them sheep. The sheep are the ones who make it in the judgment. They're the ones who are getting lifted up. You be sheep responding to shepherds. And so we see in these texts, these passages, we're focusing on submission, but we can't help but notice Also, the instruction on leadership. How to lead, how not to lead, power corrupts. And so the emphasis on leadership is on service, not lording it over others, not using your power and authority for improper motives, as being lords over others, not being examples to the flock, not using that power or authority with a servant's heart for the glory of God and the good of other people with the wrong motives. When you hear the command 
for someone to be subject to you and your authority, that should cause you to feel a tremendous weight of responsibility and accountability and not exaltation and the right to rule. Because the goal of leadership is the profit of others. And so finally, he essentially says, submit to each other. Now we have a realm where we walk in a room and we want to know who's in charge here. Well, now we don't, it's not, it's Christians, it's not the elders. It's not somebody who outranks us. And yet we're told, all of you be submissive to one another. Submission is not limited to who's in charge. Jesus taught that frequently. Secular submission is as limited as men can make it. Biblical submission is as broad as mankind. Man defines status by how many we can get under us and how much we can reduce over us. That's how the disciples are thinking, and Jesus says it's upside down in my kingdom. It's the exact opposite. And that's why this is so important. That's why there's so many commands, because our greatness in the kingdom of God is contingent upon how much we're subordinating ourselves to our authorities and to each other and to other people. It's not just a matter of authority, but priority. It's not just a matter of who has power over us, who has priority over us. Whether our interest will be subordinate to the interest of others. Philippians chapter 2, the mind of Christ. Clothe yourself in humility. Why clothe? Because clothing says something about us. It reveals something, and sometimes it reveals too much about us. And the defining uniform of the church is submissive humility. And so if you're going to leave your house not clothed in submissive humility, you need to leave your Amarillo Church of Christ shirt in the closet. Be clothed with humility. Why? For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. That's pretty good incentive. If you want to invite the opposition and resistance of God into your life, be proud and subversive and selfish, and you'll make yourself an enemy of God. If you want to invite the grace of God into your life, be humble and submissive. Therefore, in light of this reason, this incentive, this truth, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that let Him exalt you. That's why. Husbands, Give honor to the wife. And so we see here a servant leadership that's a form of submissive service. Mutual submission. And if we don't do that, if we don't honor and serve as leaders, our spouse, our children, others, we are sabotaging our prayer life. That's why. We go to texts like Ephesians 5, and what we do is we start in verse 22. And what we should do is start in verse 21... Leading into this, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Leadership and mutual submission is not mutually exclusive. and doesn't mean that we submit in the same ways. Christ submitted to the church in a certain way, a servant leadership that cost Him His life. The church submits in another way by honoring and following Him. Husbands, love, give. For your wife, just as Christ did to the church. Just as the Lord does the church. And there is no greater act of submissive service than laying your life down for someone else. And this again was a radical teaching at this time when women were viewed, wives were viewed as having only obligations, no rights, were considered property. So we see then, therefore, 
Headship is not a right to command and to control, but rather it's a responsibility to love like Christ, to lay down your life for your wife and servant leadership. And so these texts, these passages of Scripture guard against the abuses of headship by commanding husbands to love and lead like Jesus, and they guard against the debasing of submission by telling wives to respond the way the church does to Christ. Mutual submission doesn't eliminate these God-given roles and ranks, but it transforms them. It revolutionizes the way the husband, leaders lead, and the way the wife, the church, responds. As Jesus said in Luke 22, turn all your leading into serving. So how do we do that? We talked last time specifically on how we do that outside of the home in regards in relation to our government and to our employer. How do we do this inside the home? 1 Peter chapter 3, wives likewise, refers us back and means that the wife's submission is part of a greater call of submission for all Christians. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, God's word, they without a word, her words, may be won by the conduct of their wives. This doesn't mean that she's to be seen, not heard, that she doesn't say anything. Talked in chapter 1 about the new birth through the gospel, through the incorruptible seed of the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, she must use words. She must use the word of God, but she's doing that not only with her words, by speaking the Word of God, by living the Word of God, so that they don't just tune her out. You're not going to nag and badger him into the kingdom. That's the point. The unbelieving husband maybe feels threatened. She's in love with someone else. She's submitting to someone else. And so we see here the art of influencing and winning without alienating. The gentle preaching of a beautiful life. And what are they seeing? What kind of conduct? Conduct that is respectful and pure. You won't win when the one you're trying to win feels dishonored and disrespected. Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And that was just a term of respect, like we would think of sir. Because of her hope in God, because she was trusting in God, God's plan, God's providence, she was submitting herself Because she was born again, she had put off malice and deceit and slander as a result of the new birth we talked about. And so now because of that new birth, because of her holiness, because of her hope and trust in God, her default response now is respect. She speaks, she acts respectfully. There's a quote that if you treat the wrong person right, they might become the right person. That's the concept. And attitude is her prettiest feature. The emphasis here is not on having a beautiful body, it's on being a beautiful person. Beauty is not wrong. God created it. I've talked about that. The Song of Solomon woman was complimented for her beauty and her style. The father with the prodigal son in Luke 15 took off the best robe, put a ring on his finger. They're not saying absolutely you can't wear gold, you can't have jewelry, you can't have a hair. We all have a hair, most of us have a hairstyle. If he's saying you can't absolutely have a hairstyle or wear jewelry, he's saying you can't put on clothes either. (laughs) That's not what he's saying. That's why the emphasis is on merely. Don't let it be merely. It's not talking about absolutes. It's talking about our focus. You're not going to win him. You're not going to win people to Christ with those things and those techniques. The contrast between external versus internal beauty, you can be one without the other. And so we need to focus on beauty that lasts 
that doesn't age, that doesn't fade, the hidden person of the heart, which is the real you? What if we spent as much time on this person as we did the one looking at us in the mirror? She's gentle, which means she's meek. And we talked about in the Beatitudes, meekness is not weakness. In fact, the word means the opposite. It's a wild stallion who's been tamed, been brought under control. It's horsepower fit for the master's use. She's quiet. That's not a popular term. So if you don't like the word she's quiet, she's tranquil. She's at peace. She's living peaceably with all men. Are you beautiful? Not in the world's eyes. Are you beautiful in God's sight? Does God find your spirit precious? Am I going to trust God and God's plan and God's providence in my submission? Do I trust God or my ability to resist and manipulate and seduce to get what I want? She looks to Bible characters, not culture, not magazines. She looks to character, not just cosmetics. She looks to gentleness, not just jewelry. Holy women who trust in God also adorn themselves being submissive. First and foremost, my hope is in God. I hope in God. I belong to God. She puts her hope in God, not in her husband, not in getting a husband. That's not where her spiritual strength and power is derived from. The virtuous woman laughs at the future, not frivolously, but because she and her family are prepared. She has confidence. She has hope. That drives out fear and anxiety. She's fearless, she's bold, she's courageous, she's empowered, and she's meek and quiet. That's an interesting combination. As Americans, we can't fathom how those things go together. Whose daughters you are, if you do good and are not afraid with any fear. And the key in that is I have to be completely happy and trusting and confident in God. That's the key to living and being fearlessly. And the husband sees that. It's been made manifest. It's undeniable. He asks of the reason of the hope that's within you. Verse 15, I want that fearless faith. I want that fearless hope. I want that fearless love. I want that fearless submission because it's beautiful. It's captivating. It's so very compelling and converting. When a woman puts her faith and hope in God, not in her husband, not in her look, she overcomes Fear, and the result of that is an inner beauty, an inner peace, a courage, a fearlessness, an unshakable hope that leads to a submission that is uniquely Christian. So we've talked about what submission is by definition, and to reinforce that, I want to talk about what submission is not and the misconceptions of submission We think about submission specifically in regards to marriage. It's a wife honoring, supporting, affirming her husband's leadership and a willingness, a disposition, a posture of submission because sometimes she might not be able to. My goodness, her husband in this context is an unbeliever. He's fallible and so it's a willingness. It's a disposition to submit. And as we think about the misconceptions, Christ is infallible as a leader, and yet He welcomes our feedback, doesn't He? Expressing our desires, our opinions, what we think, that's called prayer. And if He does that, not needing our help, if He invites and welcomes feedback, how much more so should fallible leaders do that? You shouldn't make these decisions without understanding her, without considering her, without honoring her, which means giving her weight. She's va- 
Who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. She's precious. She's priceless. We think about chivalry. Joke is you open the door before marriage and you close it on them after marriage. Anymore, I'm somewhat apprehensive to open the door for women because in our society, that's not as much of a virtue. Don't open the door because I'm a woman. If that's what I get told, my response is going to be that I'll open it because I'm a gentleman. Understanding that she is a fellow heir of the grace of life. Leadership doesn't mean doing it all, excluding others from participation. It's leading by example and often by delegation. In a healthy, biblical marriage, a husband would welcome and even seek to mobilize, as Danny talked about, a wife's wisdom, her knowledge, her, her intuition, which is very real, her competencies. Being a leader does not mean superior competence. I mean, my goodness, if you know me and you know my wife and you've been in our home, you've experienced that truth. And the wife should offer those without dishonoring him, without communicating that he is incompetent. I want you to lead, to take initiative, to accept responsibility because our home was designed by God to thrive when you do that. When you feel a weight of responsibility for the physical well-being, the safety, the security, the provision, the financial stewardship of our home, and for the spiritual well-being, calling the family to prayer and study and worship and ministry, and that's not authoritarian, that's not domineering, that's not abusive, that's servant leadership. And what godly woman would not submit, support, be a fellow heir with a man like that? And so as we think about, again, these misconceptions in this text, in this passage, submission does not mean agreeing on everything. We've talked that the nature of it is it's because we don't want to do so. It's not agreeing on everything. The husband here is an unbeliever. She thought for herself. She heard the truth. She responded. She took out. She became a Christian. He didn't. Submission does not mean not trying to influence our authorities. And we can do that in an humble, respectful way. I mean, that's the point of this passage. She's submitting in a way that's trying to influence her husband to change. I don't know that we've... I think our response is often not biblical because we haven't appreciated this truth. Whether it's in the home, the government, our employer, paradoxically, submission is a strategy for changing and winning others. And it doesn't mean putting the husband above Christ. Sarah called Abraham Lord, lowercase l, because she was submitted to the King of kings and Lord of lords. It doesn't mean follow your authority, follow your husband into sin. He's the head, not an idol. Christ is her, Christ is his, Christ is our ultimate head and authority. And the goal in our submission is to show the infinite value and authority of Christ above all, including your husband, and show that a life lived with that conviction, that faith, that hope will result in fruit, will result in a life that is more husband-honoring and blessing than if you had made him the idol that maybe he wanted to be. So this leads to the controversial question, again, that we talked about last time, when? And the question we're really asking as Americans is, when do we not have to? When's our Boston Tea Party moment, right? Your husband, your boss, your government, your elders, don't replace or supplant God's... We read in chapter 5 about elders, there's a chief shepherd. Submit to your husband in the Lord. That limits, that's clarifying. 
Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And so we saw last time examples of civil disobedience, not murdering children, Daniel not eating dietary restrictions that clearly violated the Word of God, not worshiping an idol. And notice when it's time to resist how we do it. He went quietly. And what did he do when he was vindicated? How would we have responded? Thrown the lion's den, God protects him, shows that he's right. What did he do? O king, live forever. What about examples inside the home? Esther, Abigail, who had a very complicated situation where she's got to submit to her husband, her king, and her God, and she did so in such a way that turned those men away from their intended course and purpose while still maintaining a posture of submission. So yes, there's a time to resist. Whether it's right in the sight of God, speaking to what was considered religious authority, To listen to you more than God, you judge. We talked last time about moral law, Romans 13, right and wrong. If submission involves you in doing wrong and not doing right, according to God's Word, then you resist. We ought to obey God rather than men. And what I just want to echo from last time is if you're going to play that card, you better be sure. It better be honest. It better be good hermeneutics because so often the exemptions, the excuses, the justifications we offer are not honest, are hypocritical, and are not good hermeneutics. It's not a buffet. If it doesn't violate the Word of God, it's not a buffet in all things. Not just what you like, not just what you agree with. Yes, there's a place for feedback. I think you can do that humbly. With the right motive, we tell our kids that. Kyson's getting to the point where there's logic skills being developed and reasoning, and he pays attention to details and the nuances, and so he can formulate some arguments that sometimes are amusing and sometimes they're annoying. And we tell him, if you come with the right spirit and humility, with the right motive, we'll hear you out. We'll, we'll, what happened in the backyard, we might not be aware of all the circumstances that you you express that in the right way, we'll take it under consideration, then we'll make a decision. When we make a decision, it's time to submit. When the authorities make a decision after we offer our feedback the right way, and it doesn't violate the Word of God, it's time to submit. Because what happens, something we agree with or don't struggle with, you know, if the, we talk about the what-ifs, you know, what if they come after our guns? What do we do? Well, some people say, give up your guns. You can serve Jesus without your guns. Maybe you say that because you're not a gun enthusiast. That's not your struggle, but then the government or your authorities tell you to do something else that you don't like, you don't agree with, and all of a sudden it's gray, it's nuanced, it's complicated. If your exception, if your exemption is in second opinions or traditions or preferences or the internet or Fox News, it's not valid. There must be a valid scripture. And it's a very, very, very dangerous thing and very, very, very bad hermeneutics to equate our internet articles, our memes, our political convictions, our traditions, our feelings, our opinions to the Word of God. That'll make you a rebel without a biblical cause. And that's the whole point of all of this. Do not be a rebel without a biblical cause. And as we offer an invitation this morning, if you want to take up a biblical cause, the Lord's cause, submit yourself. Subordinate yourself. It's interesting in the passage, the context of submission, chapter 3 ends in baptism. 
Because that's what baptism is all about. Saying no to self, crucifying that old selfish, subversive person, subordinating him in the blood of Jesus, under the hand and operation of God, having faith in the operation of God so God can exalt us to walk with him in newness of life. And if you need to submit, the Lord offers that invitation. Maybe you're here as a Christian, you need to subordinate yourself. You need to go back to that commitment you made and that initial act of submission to being subordinate to others, to your authority, ultimately to God. Quit exalting yourself and let God do the exaltation and you'll live a blessed life. Submission is a powerful testimony to our faith in God's way. That's what we saw in chapter 3. That's how you win. That's how you win others. That's how Jesus won. That's how Jesus won us. There'd be no gospel without this without the submission of Christ. All of these acts of submission to His authorities led Him ultimately to the cross where He could have called 10,000 angels, and yet like a sheep, He opened not His mouth. He didn't resist. He submitted for us. That's how you win. The world submits because we don't want to pay a fine, we don't want to go to jail to avoid pain and suffering. We submit even if it costs us, even if there is pain and suffering, because that's what Christ did for us. Pay the price. Follow Jesus. And the result is God is glorified. He's praised. He's pleased. Others are converted and saved. And you will be blessed. You will see good days. If you need to respond to that invitation, submit yourself as we stand and sing.